Well, good morning, and let me add my welcome. My name is Rob, and I'm one of the pastors um, here at the Woodson High School Cafeteria, and we are glad that you are with us this morning. Uh, the Lord has provided us a place to worship every Sunday that we have needed a place to worship. And while I'm tempted sometimes to be like, this is not the ideal place, uh, I am also reminded that for many of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world today, they couldn't dream of the luxuries that we, invo- uh, that we have here in the cafeteria. And I don't say that because like, I'm the pastor and I'm supposed to say stuff like that or to make you feel guilty, but to remind us of how grateful we are to have a place like this to worship. We are going on in 1 Peter. And so if you want to open up there, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 12. Um, Peter's continuing to take us on a journey, and I want you to think about Peter's journey, all right, especially when it comes to suffering. Peter, more than anyone else in the Gospels, Peter, the guy that writes this letter, he boasts more proudly about being willing to endure suffering than anyone else, right? Like it comes up, Jesus is talking about what he's going to have to go through, and Jesus uh, talks about, hey, um, I am going to the cross. Uh, Followers, disciples, you are going to be scattered. And, And Peter, Lord bless him, says, even if I must die with you, I will never deny you, right? What a boast. And then advance the scene. Little girl comes up to him. Hey, hey, weren't you with Jesus? Jesus, I don't know the man. Right? So so no one boasts more proudly. And no one fails more spectacularly than Peter when it comes to suffering. And then he meets up with Jesus on the other side of the resurrection. And um, Jesus forgives him and restores him and loves him in such a way that we see Peter again in Acts chapter 5. And he's actually suffering for real now. And he's rejoicing in the reality that he was counted worthy to suffer in the name of Jesus. So this is his journey of suffering. So when he writes this letter, he knows what he's talking about when he's talking about suffering. And 1 Peter, more than any of the 27 books in the New Testament, talks about suffering more proportionally than any of those other books. Right? And hey, I know we've been talking about suffering a lot these past few weeks. And some of y'all are probably like, hey, uh, I'm kind of ready to move on, right? Um, But Peter's not. Because Peter knows when it comes to suffering, um, it will either make you, literally, it will form you or shape you, or it will break you. And so what we believe about suffering is important. And Christianity, what it teaches about how to understand and navigate um, suffering stands apart from, and I would contend stands above any other worldview, religion, or philosophy when it comes to how we navigate suffering. So let's turn, look at 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 19. Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice. Insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. 
But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time, of, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Mighty and merciful Father, we pray that you would use your spirit to open our eyes and give us ears to hear. And uh, even as we're here in the Woodson Cafeteria, it reminds us, we pray that you would be at work uh, in the students that are here with us this morning and the students uh, that go to the school, the staff that go to the school, that your kingdom would be advancing here. And Father, we need to see Jesus this morning, each and every one of us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Friends, we are planning creatures, all right? It's just a fact. We, we make plans, plans on how we're going to grow professionally, plans on how we're going to be a better swimmer or a better basketball player, plans on how we are going to find the one, or plans on how we are going to break up with the one who we've just learned is not the one. We make all kinds of plans in our life. And most of these plans are connected to kind of our grand master plan, um, for how we're going to have a happy and fulfilled life. And here's the thing. We don't normally plan for suffering, right? We don't normally build suffering into our plan. Often we would see suffering as an interruption to our plan. But what's interesting about how Peter writes about suffering in these verses is that um, suffering is not an unexpected, uninvited, unplanned interruption into our pursuit of joy. Suffering is actually an expected invitation to joy. Not an interruption of our joy, but an invitation to joy. And Peter says this for a few reasons. He says it's because it's expected, because it's productive, and because it's shared. So the suffering, Peter says, that we face as Christians is expected, and it's productive and it's shared. That's why it leads us to a deeper joy. So that's going to be our roadmap this morning. Look at verse 12. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. That word, beloved. All right, stop right there. First word, underline it, put a circle around it, you know, embed it in your heart. We're going to come back to that. All right. But he says, don't be surprised at this suffering you're experiencing. As though it were strange, he says, shocked? Don't be shocked that you're suffering. That's actually very much a part of the Christian life and, and very much a part of the world that we live in. Ernest Becker, the cultural anthropologist, he wrote a Pulitzer Prize-winning book called The Denial of Death, and I've always been struck by this line in Becker's book. He says, I think taking life seriously means that whatever you do must be done in the lived truth of the evil and terror of life, of the rumble of panic underneath everything. Otherwise, it's phony. You hear what Becker's saying there? He's saying, listen, you've got to acknowledge the evil, the terror, terror the rumble of panic underneath life, or else if you're going to deny that, it's, it's phony. 
And Christianity and Christ and Peter do not minimize or sentimentalize the suffering that's just a part of life. The Bible doesn't minimize it or sentimentalize it. And knows full well that within these hundred or so people here in this room, there is all kinds of suffering and hardship that we are facing. Um, we find um, books like Habakkuk in the Old Testament, where at the end of it, in chapter 3, the prophet says, listen, even though the produce doesn't come in, even though there's no animals in the stall, even though we don't really have all that we need, still there is a way to rejoice and find life and hope in the God of our salvation. So Christianity does not minimize or sentimentalize it. In fact, it says you can expect suffering and hardship. Um, and at the same time, it doesn't call us to be pessimist. It doesn't call us to be cynics. You, you, guys, we all know people that are just cynical and pessimistic, right? That, like, they, they don't know how. We don't know how to deal with the suffering and the hardship. So we basically switch our default setting to expect it, right? Like, oh, everything. There's a difference between expecting suffering and expecting the worst, all right, that's not what Peter's calling us to. He's not calling us to cynicism or pessimism. He's just calling us to a sobriety to know that like, hey, suffering's going to happen. It's a part of the Christian life. It's a part of normal life in an abnormal world, right? You, you know why I say that? Normal life in an abnormal world? Because this world isn't the way that it was designed to be. Right, Because of our rebellion and because of sin, there's a brokenness that entered into us and also entered in into the entire world. And now all of our suffering is not always because of our sin, but because the world is a broken world and creation is broken and the curse of sin has brought about war and greed and lust, we experience suffering in an abnormal world. The world is not the way it was. And the world is not the way it will be. Right now it is abnormal and suffering is normal within it. So Peter says, Christian, you should just expect it. And those expectations, they free us from a couple enemies when it comes to joy. If suffering is going to lead us to joy, um, expectations frees us from the enemies of entitlement and victimhood. Right? If we can just expect suffering as a part of the Christian life, then it saves us from entitlement. Entitlement is, um, I don't deserve this. Right? Like, okay, there's been a pandemic. I, I, don't, I don't deserve to live in a world with pandemic. Or I don't deserve to live in a world with mental health. I don't deserve this. Now, we never say that out loud, right? That's not a part of our official theology, but how often do we think, wait, I... I don't deserve this. I deserve better. Entitlement steals our joy. And so does victimhood is just a relative that's still self-focused and self-obsessed that says, well, no one suffers like I suffer or that I'm the only one here suffering like this. And understanding that suffering is an expectation in the Christian life just saves you from victimhood. No, it's not you. All right? It's life in a fallen world. Peter says... Our suffering, we can find joy in the midst of it when we understand, no, it's to be expected. Um, this promised suffering doesn't need to paralyze us. There's a, a, an author that I really like, um, a guy named Frederick Beekner, and he says this. 
Here is the world, beautiful and terrible. Do not be afraid. And so how are we supposed to not be afraid? Not just not be afraid, but how do we find joy? How do we rejoice? Peter says it's also because we realize that suffering is productive. It produces something in us. His argument here is that God uses difficult things to produce good things in us. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Here's what's interesting for me. This is what Peter doesn't write. Like I would expect Peter to write this. Hey, yeah, you were rejoicing. And, and then trials came. And so you press pause on rejoicing and you're, you're suffering. But don't worry, there will be a time when you'll rejoice again one day, someday. But that's not what Peter says, right? And when he talks about rejoicing too, he also doesn't say, hey, I want you to rejoice in some kind of stoic, stiff upper lip kind of way. Remember what he says back at the the first of the letter. Uh, This is verse 6 of chapter 1. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. It's just really helpful for me that he talks about rejoicing and grieving in the same sentence. Right? So here's some counterintuitive truths for all my friends this morning, all right? Um, Suffering and rejoicing, um, they're not at odds with each other. According to Peter, they are not mutually exclusive. You can rejoice in the midst of your suffering, some way, somehow. Rejoicing and grieving, they're not at odds with each other. Peter, Jesus, they don't deny the... The, the reality that some of you walked in this morning and grief was your primary emotion. He also uh, makes it clear for us that rejoicing cannot mean strictly experiencing happy emotions. All right, here's how it works. Our suffering... Our trials, our hardships, they drive us deeper and more into God. They reveal to us like almost nothing else can. Suffering, our trials are God's megaphone, as C.S. Lewis says, uh, to help us see all that we have in Him. All that He's provided for us. And also the complete insufficiency of anything else to hold us up in the times of hardship and pain. Right, Chapter 1 and chapter 4, Peter used fire language. He talks about the fiery trials. And we've used the illustration, right? This is refining gold, refining metals. Hopefully uh, you kind of get it by now, the the chemistry of, of how that works. But as the heat increases, the impure things are separated. Peter says that's how suffering works in the Christian's life. And then he uses this language of test. All right, we're here in the cafeteria this morning. We got donuts in the back and we're here because they're actually doing tests in the auditorium, like SOLs, all right? So they've got it set up for that. Test. Tests serve the purpose to show us what it is we really know. Right, kids? You all take tests. Sorry to talk about it in church. But when you take a test, it doesn't matter what you say you know. It doesn't matter what you think you know. When you take that test, it reveals what it is you really know. Peter says that's what the the trials and tests of suffering, they reveal what it is we really believe about God. When you get dumped by that guy or that girl, 
where you find your identity is revealed. When you don't make the, the basketball team, when you don't get the promotion, when you're ostracized and left out because you've decided to follow Christ and not your friends, what you believe about God and yourself and others is really revealed. That's what the test reveals. Peter says that's what suffering does in our lives. So um, here's an application. Here's something I would like to ask you to do this week. Take 10 or 15 minutes and make a list of the trials you are experiencing or have experienced. Think about the recent weeks or the recent years, uh, maybe related to health, finances, family, school, anxiety, sickness, compulsions, addictions. Make a list of these trials and then spend some time asking God, hey, show me how you are shaping me in the midst of these. Show me how you are revealing yourself to me in the midst of these. Um, and give me the faith to see how you're at work even when I don't see it and when I don't understand it. I'll say it again and again. God doesn't love you because you navigate your suffering well. God loves you because you're his child. But we want to pray and ask God to help us see how are you at work here and how can I have joy in the midst of these trials? And friends, the Bible is full in Psalms, in Job, all over the place of people getting to this place. I can rejoice in God even though I have no idea what in the world he is up to right now. So you are in good company when you find yourself in that space. Suffering is expected, uh, suffering is productive, and suffering is shared. Um, Peter says, here's kind of some of his most explicit teaching is this. We can find joy in suffering because it connects us to Christ like almost nothing else does. Suffering connects us to Christ experientially like almost nothing else does. Hey, if y'all wanted to grow closer to me, here's one of the best ways we could do that. We could all load up in the buses out front, right? We could take a trip down to Western North Carolina. You could come to our home, right? Show you around the property. There's the wood piles that we burned to like heat our home and our water. Um, here are the people that helped shape me and make me who I am. Let's get some biscuits and gravy. This is all going to be great, right? You would know me more. You would be connected to me more if we had that shared experience. What Peter is saying is when we share in the suffering of Christ, we know him more. And we, we also know that Christ has shared in our experience. When you're suffering because friends betray you, Christ has had that experience and he knows it. When you're suffering because people lie about you and spread gossip about you, Christ knows you because he's had that experience. When you're suffering um, and you don't know where God is, he doesn't seem to be anywhere, Christ knows that experience. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Christ has taken the road trip to come and visit all of our homes, all of our lives, even the deepest and darkest parts of our stories. And he knows us. And, and Peter says we can know him as we meet with him in the suffering that we experience. Suffering is shared. <laughs> we share in his suffering. We also suffer because we share in his name. Verses 14 and 16, Peter says, hey, um, there's a there's a suffering that goes along in sharing in the name of Christ and being called a Christian. And you're blessed when you do that. And conversations I've had this past week, 
they've only further driven that point home for me. If you're going to be a Christian on a high school sports team or a college sports team, you're going to suffer in some kind of way. You're going to be left out. You're going to be ostracized. And the same is true if you serve in the military or in the workplace or even in your families, either nuclear or extended. There's going to be times where you suffer because you take the name of Christ. And Peter says, you're blessed at that time. And also that proves that God's spirit is upon you and at work in you. So rejoice. And then it gets to that point there in, uh, in verses uh, 17 and 18, and it starts talking about judgment. I wonder how many of you are reading that and you're like, what is going on there? Like, what's up with that? Um, one, you need to read that word judgment. It's, it's in that similar spirit of test and not condemnation. He's talking about, hey, there's this judgment. God is, is going to begin testing the, his people, the people of his household first. And so we should just be aware of that. That's the reality. God's at work. He's, he's testing his people. These trials are coming to his people. And the only hope any of us have is in obeying the gospel of God, in, in hoping in the good news, not in of ourselves. Because, hey, when it comes to facing suffering, every person in this room has failed. It's been revealed that we trust ourselves or we trust other things and we don't trust God. We have failed. We are scarcely saved. Why are we scarcely saved? Because there's nothing in us that saves us, only in Christ. That's the only hope we have. And so Peter says, listen, our only hope is Christ. For those outside, what of them? Uh, the only hope we have is in Christ. Final verse. Look at how uh, Peter concludes this. Verse 19. He says, therefore. He says, I want to sum it all up for you. Um, therefore, in light of all of this suffering, here's what we need to do. We need to entrust our souls to our faithful creator. Um, when we don't understand the why of our suffering, we need to cling to the who. It's the one who calls us beloved that rules and reigns. He's the faithful creator, the sovereign king over our suffering. He's in control of all things and he loves us, beloved. That's where we started. That's the word I said underlined, beloved. Let's just, um, let's be aware of this. In Islam, there's no language of beloved. Subjects of Allah, maybe servants of Allah, but there's no beloved. Um, in Eastern religions, mysticism, um, suffering is an illusion. Uh, and the solution is just to detach yourself. Right? In materialism, secularism, a strictly material world, there's no beloved. Right? There's just the accidental coalescence of matter that's stumbling along something like a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. There's no beloved. Christianity and Christ alone gives us beloved, calls us beloved. And so in the midst of our suffering, that's the voice that we hear. That's the reality that gives us joy. Though cancer invades, though death takes our loved ones, though war rages, it's the reality that we are the beloved and our Savior has conquered sin and death and will restore all things. This table, this meal, points to the reality that we are beloved in Christ. Let's pray and then let's go to this table. Pray with me. 
Father, I pray you would help me and my friends to see that suffering is expected, that um, we cannot escape it in this world, but we are not alone as we endure it. Um, We are well-loved by our Savior and our God and our Creator. Wherever we're at this morning, impress these truths upon our soul. That you're at work in us, even though we might never know how on this side of death. You're at work in us. You're comforting us. You're sustaining us. And Father, um, as we experience suffering, we meet with Christ. We know something of his love for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Like I said, we come to this table and it reminds us um, of Christ's love for us. I was reading earlier this week at the, John chapter 13. He, John records the day that Christ institutes this meal and he says this, When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And that's what this table points us to. And this table is for all who have put their hope in Christ. All who have accepted His grace. All who have admitted their need for Him. If that describes you this morning, then this meal is for you. If that doesn't describe you this morning, we're really glad that you're here. We'd be happy to have more conversations about who Jesus is and what he taught and what he did for us. But the scriptures would say, our Bible would say, that you should let these elements pass by you. I would encourage you to take this time and ask God to reveal himself to you, to show himself to you through his word and through your friends here. But this meal is for every believer, for the nourishment of our soul. Because sometimes our sufferings overshadow all things. And this meal stands as a regular reminder of Christ's love for us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that by your Spirit you would set apart these elements from their common use. That they might be food for our souls. That they might remind us anew of your great love for us that we see on display in Christ's life and in his death and in his resurrection. Meet with us now in this meal, we pray. Amen.